Okay, let me, I'm going to have just a, a survey and just ask your opinion about something for my life. How many in here, by a show of hands, I'm going to go from your left to the right, I think that it's a good idea for Aaron Allison to obtain an hamster for my home. You know, a hamster. Let me see it. How many raise your hand? Okay, two, three, four. Okay, so, all right, we got six. Okay, so only six of you. Maybe we have maybe 180 people in here, something like that. And six of you, only six of you think that I should get a hamster. But, but let's talk about that. Have you ever noticed how, how cute hamsters are? I mean, they are cute. They're fluffy. They don't bark. I mean, I, I've been the dog owner all these years, and dogs are always barking. They're needy. You know, hamster, they, they don't bark. Uh, and you don't have to walk them. You don't have to put a leash on them and put on your shoes. You just put them on a little wheel, and they just go and go and go. They're like the perfect pet. Fluffy, cute, self-maintained. They don't, they don't bark. I mean, are, are you starting to warm up to the idea? Is anyone, in fact, I want to see, has anyone warmed up? Let's just take the poll again. Is anyone else, how many things passed? Well, I don't, I don't like to be, I'm Aaron. I'm not Pastor Aaron. I'm just Aaron. You're not like a engineer or Josh, you know, or anything. So how many think Aaron should get a, um, a hamster? I, I got any more, any more, any, any more? I've actually, this hasn't worked out. It's actually decreased. So I was hoping to get, tells you why I shouldn't be in sales, huh? Well, I thought the illustration was going to work. I thought that you guys would chuckle at what I was saying, and then like maybe some more of you would raise your hands. So let's see if the 1045 service can be more submitted to authority in that and do what I want. So here's the point I was trying to illustrate, is that in life, if you talk to enough people about what you want, you can get people to agree with you. So, you know, we, when we want advice on something, what we usually do, what we have a tendency to do is to go to enough people until enough people kind of agree with us. You know, should I buy my new 16-year-old a brand new car? And if you don't really have the resources, you have to finance that. And should I do that? Should I do that? Well, a lot of people are like, no, because most 16-year-olds have a fender bender. But if you go to enough people, oh, yeah, why not? Go for it. They're, they're nice kids. And, and you'll get the advice that you want. So most of the time, we don't, we don't really try to accumulate wisdom. We try to get confirmation of what we already have decided in the first place. That way we can say, well, yeah, I've talked to people, and here's a list of people who agree with me. So I can tell by your reaction that you've all been there, we've all done that. The scripture today is going to show us how this is a tendency in God's people. God's people want to hear a certain message, and there are messengers out there that don't really tell us what God wants us to hear. They tell us what we want to hear. And if we really don't want to hear from God, and we just really want confirmation of what we want to do already, if we try hard enough, it doesn't take long to find messages, quote, that are supposed to be from God that confirm what we want to do anyway. I'm very, very um, hesitant to ever say God told me anything. 
Because most of the time people say, I pray and we feel like God is telling us or leading us. Most of the time it's just really what we want to do anyway. I don't know if any of us are wise enough, smart enough by ourselves to hear for God from, by ourselves anyway. And I can only tell you this because in my life I can give you about 10 huge mistakes in my life, at least 10, that I was completely convinced God had told me that. And that's what I use that language to shut down dialogue. So, hey, that's what I've done. Maybe, maybe you've never done that before. This is the condition of God's people when the prophet Jeremiah spoke th this portion of scripture. And let me talk to you about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a biblical example that's Makes me nervous. Because Jeremiah spoke the word of God and he got beat up for it. He was considered a traitor. His life was often threatened and he was physically beaten because he spoke the word of God. He was a prophet of God. But he wasn't the only prophet who were speaking to the people. False prophets were telling people Peace, peace. You, you can see that in, in the scriptures leading up to our passage today. There's going to be peace. Things are going to be peaceful in the future when the truth was through Jeremiah and other true prophets, God was saying, you know, I'm about to destroy everything. I'm about to destroy the city of Jerusalem and I'm about to destroy the temple. And Jeremiah saw that happen. He wasn't like a lot of us who are excited about sharing doom and judgment. If you really just love to talk about the judgment of God, you're wrong with God. If like you get, like your adrenaline starts pumping and you're excited just to call down fire from heaven, you're, you're in the wrong spirit. Because for the prophet Jeremiah, the burden was that fire shut up in its bones and that fire didn't feel good. It wasn't fire shut up in my bones. I got to get it out. It was, it was an anguish. It was, it was a, it was a, oh, it was a burning. Like, I don't want to tell the people this, but I've got to tell them. And so, guys, we, we need to love each other more. We need to love each other more. And part of that love sometimes is saying difficult things. And sometimes saying those difficult things, there's anguish. But I love you too much not to tell you the truth. And I tell you the truth. And it might be, it might be something that feels negative and feels challenging to your life. But I, I, I say it to you with love in my heart. There, there's, well, let me get focused here. So... Raising my kids in this town has been a blessing. We, we made a strategic decision years ago. Uh, when, when the kids were toddlers, we said, God, if you allow us, we want to raise our kids in one town. And that has impacted decisions we've made. It's impacted opportunities that have come. And it's been a great, great decision for us. And there's lots of reasons why. Not, I know not everyone's able to do that, so I don't, I don't say that in an arrogant way. But that, that was just, that's just been a, a blessing God's given us, and it's been, uh, it, it's been something that 
I guess if, if there's any lesson to learn for those of you who are young, think about the end. Think about the end before you make decisions. So one of the cool things about living in the same town all these years, I've been in the same house for 16 years and considering our church plant, I've worked at three different churches with one house uh, between where I was youth pastor and the church we planted and now here at CIL. So been in this one place and one house and here's one of the blessings is that there are eyes all over my kids, uh, all over the city, eyes are on my kids. So we get, we get funny texts from people, texts like this. Who is Abby having dinner with at Chili's? <laughs> like this is somebody in that case who, who only who knew Abby as a toddler. It's not like, what, what even one of you guys? It was someone who just knew her and through social media knew what she looked like. Um, Luke started driving, and, and he's a good driver, but man, everybody, he took my old car over, so everybody knew that blue Hyundai Tucson. They're like all over the place. I saw Luke on Main Street. I saw him on Saundersville. He's doing good. He's driving good. So Lincoln, my youngest, he, he, he likes to perform. He does a good job at performing in the arts, and so we may not be at a rehearsal, but we'll get a text. Lincoln's nailing the rehearsal. So all of that is just... It's just such a, a blessing. And so I've used, that in, I've used that in my life just to appear a little more powerful than I really am. How was Chili's, Abby? <laughs> How do you know it was at Chili's? God speaking to your dad. <laughs> Go ahead and tell me who you were sitting with because I know. Luke, why were you driving, you know, on, on New Shackle at 11 o'clock at night? I thought you were supposed to be at a friend's house and all of that, all of that um, played out fine so I can actually use it as illustration. <laughs> I don't know if I can use it at the 1045 service because Luke doesn't like to be talked about. So this idea of like portraying omnipresence, I thought about that when we go to verse 23. It says this, am I a God who is only near? Am I not a God who is far away? The Near Eastern thought um, was that you know, different gods were identified with different attributes. Baal was a god of wind and rain and fertility. So if there was a storm, they would pray to Baal. Mott was a god of drought, infertility, death. Yom was a god of the sea and chaos. And so there was this idea that Yahweh is just the God of a particular tribe, a particular family, just this small, localized God. So through the prophet, God says, am I a God who is only near? Am I only with you? You know, when you're with the actual family, with the tribe, with the Jews, am I not a God who is far away? And then here's a, here's a great question. Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Well, the answer obviously is no. But the people of that time thought that they could hide from God. They thought that if they were in a different physical location, they could act a different way. Like some of us feel when we're on vacation. We're like, I can, I can act differently. I'm not here. The church used to, churches used to have these rules. Like if you're, in Middle Tennessee, you can do certain things. You cannot do certain things, but if you're out of town, it's okay for your witness. I'm like, what's the point of that? 
He's still God everywhere we're at, isn't he? If you don't know what I'm talking about, I, can, I just want to say, good for you. You've been blessed of the Lord. God, Yahweh's not a localized God. This rhetorical question points to his omnipresence. And there's, there's, in that scripture, there's two theological words. If you want a big fan, two big fancy words today, the transcendence of God and the eminence of God. The transcendence means that you can't contain him. He's bigger than the universe itself. I mean, he's, he's a concept that is just so far beyond us. But the eminency of God means like he's right here. Like the mention of his name, his presence is right with us. And God says, don't categorize me as one and not the other. Don't think that I'm some distant God who's not involved in the details of your life, but also don't think that I'm this small little God that you can control and you can put away when it's convenient for you. This is the question. Am I not a God? Am I a God who is only near and not a God who's far away? Nonsense. Yahweh is not limited. He's not to a particular geography, geographical place. He's not in a particular uh, condition of, uh, of the weather. He's not in a particular condition of even our own personal experiences. He's aware of all of the actions of his creation. You can't hide anything from Yahweh. You can't hide anything from God. That's why he is, he is, he is not to be compared to any God because he is the God of all gods. Every other God is just a figment of the imagination they may be demonically inspired and that's where power is that's why demonic power is in astrology that's why demonic power is in the horoscope guys that's why demonic power are in different new age practices that we don't judge harshly in our life the the reason you feel warmth the reason you get insight is it's demonic power in that And those things, and God says, listen, I see that, I know that, and I am so much more powerful than that. He's not confined to shrines. He's not confined to temples. He's not confined to pagan deities. He's not submitted to the stars through astrology because he created the stars. There are not secret patterns to discover there is a God with a very unique personality, a very unique relationship that reveals his truth to us. So we're not always searching for the hidden. I'm going to speak to that as that's coming into Christianity in a little bit. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. That means he is all powerful, all present, and all knowing. This is our God. And this is, if I didn't tell you point number one, it's God's position. Write it down. He's different. His power is not hidden to us. He's the God who's near. The false prophets often assume that God isn't aware of what they're doing, but they couldn't be more wrong. I know all of us have to endure sales pitches all the time. And We've learned through experience. I have too many stories to even tell that if it sounds too good to be true, it is not true. And this is what often is occurring with number two, the prophet's lies. Write it down. The prophet's lies. Verse 25, I have heard what the prophets who prophesy a lie in my name have said. I have a dream. I have a dream. How long will this continue in the minds of the prophets? Prophesying lies, prophets of deceit of their own mind. 
this whole idea of this, this some type of hidden revelation that isn't supported by Holy Scripture, isn't supported by the, the historic church. This is, this is one of the things, it's, it's new and, and it's so special that only I receive it and I'm gonna give it to you as long as you buy my book or support my ministry. Yeah, yeah, these are the lies that we believe simply because we're, we're bored with Jesus, really. And because we're bored with the gospel, we, we, we just need that emotional boost. And so we, we listen to so many lies and they're, they're, they're equal opportunity. They're, they're lies uh, from liberal theology and they're lies from fundamentalism. They're both, on both ends of the spectrum. Non-biblical lies, uh, things, that, things that, that are introduced that aren't just clearly in the Bible. Verse 31 supports this. God says, I'm against the prophets, the Lord's declaration, who use their own tongues to make a declaration. I'm against those who prophesy false dreams. The Lord's declaration, tell them and leading my people astray with their reckless lies. It was not I who sent or commanded them, and they are no benefit at all to these people. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, in that culture, the other nations, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, they love dreams. They love dreams. And the Jews, we know this from reading our Bibles, God did speak through dreams, but there was a real caution about dreams, and so should there be with us. Dreams were submitted to the community. Dreams were, were, were submitted to the Torah and, and, and now the, the Holy Scripture. And so this idea of us being led by dreams, occasionally God may give you a dream that is supported by the Scripture and by what you've already been told, just like he did to Joseph with, with, with Jesus and so on. There, there's a lot of examples and I want to acknowledge that. But I also want to acknowledge that our fascination with that is very dangerous. Um, false prophets offer people false hope. They, they, they truly do. And, and that doesn't mean that not every positive prophecy is true. And, and I just say this to God's glory. In 2009, when our country was just wrecked uh, economically, late 2008, I mean, under the spirit, I, I was up here saying, we're not going to go down. It's going to come back. Don't lose hope. You know, all this. And I'm sitting there thinking in my natural mind, that's not, what economic, that's not what the economic professionals are saying. They're saying the housing market will never be the same. And I'm sitting there declaring hope. And, and I'm thinking, am I making this up? I, I felt it in my spirit, but I didn't feel it in my mind. And that, that ended up being, being true. And now it's cyclical. And so, so we, can't, we can't just count on the economy being up in the right forever. That's not wisdom. But my point is, not every positive message is a false message. But we have to discern what, these, what the Lord is saying with this. Write this down, Jeremiah 23, verse 17. It's not on the screen, but that will tell you where the prophets were telling peace and peace. Now, let me, um, let me, let me just move forward because time is slipping away. And, 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 you know, we're always trying to figure out ways to fit it all in. Isn't that great? Part of a growing church. You know, inspiration comes through the arts and God is artistic. How about that, huh? Because he was the original creator. And so when things are created, it, 
it brings beauty to the world and it reflects God well. This is why when the beginning of this artistic song, The Dance by Garth Brooks begins, it still moves my soul. Come on, don't act like you're beyond it, right? Remember the piano rift? Maybe we'll have that ready. So there's nothing spiritual about that song. There's nothing anointed about that song, but it's inspirational. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. All wisdom comes from God. But we have to be careful to discern what is just artistic inspiration that God can use to lift our emotions and lift our spirits. And what is the anointing? There's a difference. And I, and I know that, like even, like even in my preaching, like I could like tell like really funny stories you know, like, like it felt good when you guys were, when I did my little fire thing and y'all were laughing and it felt good. And there was part of me that just wanted to kind of go there for a little bit. We could all have a good time and you could leave here and say, oh, isn't Aaron funny? Wouldn't it be great if you preached like that all the time? Wouldn't that great? Oh, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. And I've entertained you, but there's been no anointing here. See, see the danger? So, so what, what is the anointing and what brings the anointing? Well, there, we could do a whole sermon series on that. We have and we will but it's the name of Jesus. More anointing, more Jesus. More the word, more Jesus. And where I have to be careful, because I'm not here to talk about other churches and other pastors and other ministers to set myself up as, oh, I, you know, I'm the, I'm the pure one here. Come on, I, I've, I've done things that I totally regret in the pulpit and, and so forth, and I'm still trying to grow. But I'm just saying for Aaron... That if, if you don't love Jesus more, I've failed you. If you don't love Jesus more, if you're more into CIL and to my ministry, I don't know why you would be, but hypothetically, and you're, 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 you're just looking for this energy and this emotional boost, but the son of God who revealed himself to man, there's no connection to him. We've missed the whole reason for being here. And so write this down as the forgotten to come up at point four, but you're going to have to come up now if, you, if you're around, and, and Rob. Verse 27, through their dreams, they tell one another, they plan to cause my people to forget my name as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. This idea that, that we can be we can be a, a Christian that is so relevant and so connected to culture that Jesus is just one other thing on the buffet line. And we forget his name. The freedom that God wants us to have can also be um, the, the freedom that causes us to forget who the Lord is. And the deconstruction of Jesus, in case you don't know this, and I hope you don't, it started about 120 years ago, it, it, theologically. And about 20 years ago, it came to the evangelical church where very good, effective speakers, very trendy, appealing, inspirational speakers diminished the supremacy of Jesus. And it's there. And, and I hope you don't know who this is, what this is, and, and it would not be profitable for me to name names. But I'm just telling you, if you like somebody who preaches or sings and, and they're inspirational and they're someone you look up to and they lift you emotionally and you enjoy the intellectual uh, stimulation, but they diminish the supremacy and deity of Jesus, then they're a false teacher in your life. And, and, and I'm just saying this just to, to beware, just beware. 
I, I want to say this too, is there are no secrets, secret codes in the Bible. There's no secret codes in the Bible. There's no backdating. And, and if you ever want me to talk to you about that, you can use a number system to backdate and come up with all these conclusions. And it's fine. It's not necessarily evil. It's just not very profitable. So there's no secrets. God has revealed himself clearly. He's revealed himself clearly through the gospels. And so, so we can't forget his name. Don't ever wrongly believe you're beyond Jesus. I see this in the entertainment world and in the political world. People talk about their spiritual roots. I'm like, oh, that was really good. I grew up in the church and, you know, I just really learned passionate singing from gospel singing. And, you know, I really learned leadership principles because I was in the church. But there's, there's a sense of I'm beyond Jesus. Guys, and I, and, and I don't say this to brag or whatever, but I, I, I'm in the academic world. I'm around that. And I know that that's a great, great trap. That's a great, great trap to cause people's hearts not to be connected with passion for the Son of God. You know, you guys gave me some time off recently and Daniel was with me Friday night. He's like, well, what'd you get from the sabbatical? I didn't write. I read a little bit, but I read what I didn't want to. I, I didn't feel like this, this I had to, to, to come up and conjure up some type of new slant on the church or new slant on Christianity. What you gave me and what God gave me is passion for this man named Jesus Christ, passion for the Son of God, friendship with God. I'm not saying that to glorify myself. I'm saying that to say this is the pathway to being the person God created us to be. So let's not forget the name of Jesus. That's not for, he is supreme, he is top, he is it. I love the fact that I had so many weeks off from preaching because then the word of God and the worship music I listened to and the solitude wasn't just for you, it was just for me. And I want to be like Paul. I want to pass on what God gave me. And I, I don't want to just be one who's conjuring up sermons to make you like me more. I want to be, with the Lord's help, someone that has a passion burning for Jesus. And I don't want it to just to be me. I want it to be Rob. And I want it to be Jessica when she's in town. I want it to be the usher who comes down the aisle and he's coming down with an anointing. Or she's coming down because we need female ushers. Come on, let's break that trend. That gets on my nerves. And the usher is like, like I'm praying over this offering. I'm praying for this guy. I'm praying for this lady because it's passion for Jesus. That's what it is. All right. Here's the last thing we'll say. Number, point number four is the pulverizing word of God. That's what I wanted to name this sermon, but I was told that's a terrible title to a sermon, and I agree. So we settled with the hammer. I love that pulverizing word of God. Verse 28, the prophet who has only a dream should recount the dream. But the one who has my word should speak my word truthfully. For what is straw compared to grain? I'm going to tell you what straw is what's burned because it has no effect. But grain is the nutrition that comes. What is straw compared to grain? This is the Lord's declaration. Is not my word like fire. It's burning the stuff that doesn't feed us. It's burning away the chaff. And this is the Lord's declaration. Here it is. And here's the title of the sermon that didn't make it by the cut. And like a hammer that pulverizes rock, 
How many know that hammers both build and destroy whatever the Lord needs it to do? And his word builds us up, builds up the things that we need, but his word tears down the things that don't belong. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Our gospel reading, um, we won't read it because of the sake of time. Jesus reminds us that even though you know, God created families, he's pro-family, but Jesus said there's sometimes when the word of God divides families, verse 53 says, they'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is, this is, this is uh, painful. And it's really not the ultimate will of God. The ultimate will of God is for families to all be for Jesus. But I want you to know that we've got brothers and sisters on other, the other side of the world who are losing their families and losing their inheritances and they're losing their uh, social status because they believe in the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you that he is worth it. He is worth it. He, when you discover that he is your true meaning of life, when you discover that he is, he is the pearl of great value, then you'll give everything for that pearl. It's like, a, it's like something you've never seen before. And, and I, I think about 2011, a young man who was attending Vanderbilt, and, and I, I don't have time to tell this whole story. His name was Sandeep, and he's, he's Asian Indian. And he, he was here, and he came, and he met in my office, and, it, and it's somewhat of a typical, I want to be baptized. Can he explain to me water baptism? And I explained to him, and he had some hesitation. And, and as I began to talk to him, I, I discovered quickly that if he got baptized, he would lose his family. And so he didn't sign up that day. He thought about it for, for a few months. And then right here in this little area right here, we had the privilege of baptizing Sandeep. Now he's living in India with his Christian wife. And the last time we talked to him serving the Lord and, and, and the, the Lord has honored that, that commitment to him. This is what I'm talking about. That's why that word of God is pulverizing. It breaks up the hard ground. It breaks up the things in your life. But it's a good thing to have the Lord break you because when the Lord breaks you, then you become who he really wants you to be. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And the Lord brings, brings his uh, his his correction. So Father, we just thank you, Lord. We give this time to you. As we respond to your word today, let your anointing break the power of sin in our lives. And we just thank you for visiting with us. I'm not going to give further instructions about communion today, but at the, at the front of the building, there's a chance for you to take communion to your left and to your right, also in the back. You don't have to, but you're welcome to. Also here in the middle, if you want to take communion by intention, which is taking the bread and dipping the cup, I will, dipping it in the common cup, I will uh, present that to you. But let's all of us, before I dismiss our service, let's spend some time just um, asking the Lord to make this scripture life to us. The table of the Lord is now open to you.